49er fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the 49ers Paradise Podcast Show. Thank you all once again for tuning in. This week's show is unsponsored. If you're interested in sponsoring a 49ers Paradise Podcast Show, drop me a line at podcast at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. Of course, you can always email the show at the same address, podcast at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. Or, alternatively, you can call into the show. Just click the phone link in the top right-hand corner of the main page of 49ers Paradise. You'll be given a list of phone numbers to call from throughout the world. Really convenient and a great way to have your take played on the air. It's been a little bit since we last recorded, but the draft is around the corner, and uh, we're heating up a little bit around 49ers Paradise. So uh, I want to continue to invite everybody to join up, subscribe, and uh, take part in the forum. Of course, we've had two live chats already. We've had Matt Barrows and Kevin Lynch join us, and uh, those were excellent live events. And we have Matt Mayoko coming in for uh, our next live event, and that one's coming up. It's around the corner, and you won't want to miss it on April 20th. That's Monday, April 20th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. There's a link directly on the main page of 49ers Paradise, and there will be a link again on the 20th as well. So you won't want to miss the chat with Matt Mayoko of the Press Democrat. It's a great live event. The other two were fantastic. Also, you can read their archives by visiting the off-season draft field section, the 2009 draft field. It's up, running, and fully ready. You can definitely check it out there. The past two archives were uh, really interesting and great chats. We have something a little bit different and a little bit special this week in our podcast show as well. Glenn Dickey, he's currently writing for the SF Examiner. He also has his own website, glendickey.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-D-I-C-K-E-Y.com. He's joining us today for an interview, and uh, I appreciate Glenn's time greatly. I know that he's got an extremely busy schedule, so it was great that he was able to reach out to us and... uh, participate with 49ers Paradise in this really unique way. So thank you very much to Glenn, and I'll play the interview that uh, was previously recorded for all of you, and I hope you enjoy the listen. Your feedback and comments are always welcome. You can direct them directly to Glenn, or if you have comments for me, I'm certainly interested to hear what you have to say. So here's the interview. It's definitely worth the listen, about half an hour long, and uh, enjoy. I want to thank Glenn Dickey for joining us today. Glenn, of course, has been following the 49ers as a beat writer for ages upon ages, offering his opinion and always offering a very clear, pointed view on the Bay Area sports teams. Uh, Today, of course, we're going to be focusing on the 49ers, and uh, we'll get a chance to hear what Glenn has to say about the upcoming draft. So thank you very much, Glenn, for joining us. Glad to be with you. It's uh, one of the things I always enjoy about reading your columns, whether they're at glendickey.com or on the Examiner or in the past, was, is that you provide a, a very uh, clear, pointed point of view. And some people, I think, knock you for being pessimistic, but I, I don't find that. I find you're very realistic, and you, you have great expectations for the teams that you follow. Yeah, I'd like to see the teams do well. 
it's uh, it's much more enjoyable coming a winning team always, you know, and and uh, uh, people. The problem is that fans have unrealistic expectations often, and you know they they want the team to do very well. And if if I point out some weaknesses, they they're not always happy with that. But but that's my job is to evaluate as honestly as I can. That's uh, and you do a great job of it for sure. And I think uh, one of the the beauties of it is your longevity in the Bay Area and around these teams, as you've seen them go through the cycles. And I think a lot of fans, you know, focus in on you know a five year period or a ten year period, um, and forget about everything else that happens around that. So I think you're able to bring that longevity to it as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's you know a real. You don't very often see writers who have a chance to do that, to stay in one area for as long as I have. But, you know, I've been actually, uh, the first 49er game I saw was probably uh, the fall of 58. I graduated from uh, Cal in, in the June that year. I didn't see him play, even though they were just across the bay. I didn't, didn't go to any games when I was in school. I had this thing about studying I had to do. <laughs> but... Uh, but as soon as I, I got a job out of, when I got out of school with a little paper down the coast, about uh, 80, 90 miles down the coast, so I could come up for the game. So I've been watching them since that time. And, uh, you, you know, so I do have quite a bit of background and information that I can use. And, and definitely the privilege of meeting uh, a few star players here or there. I guess be, before we get into the... Uh into the draft conversation in, in that respect. Do you have any, uh, one quick story maybe about uh, a player experience or a coach experience that uh, is worth sharing with the audience? Well, I've had just so many. Of course, I was very close to Bill Walsh, and I got to know him when, when he was coaching at Stanford, and we had, you know, he just taught me so much about football because I had been covering it for a while at that point, but I still, you know, I could learn from him things that I just never even thought of. So, uh, you know, it would just, and I worked with him, I did a book with him, you know, I've done 16 books, and, and one of them was, was with Bill and uh, Building a Champion. I think that came out in 91, if I'm not mistaken, in 90, I guess, actually. And uh, even then, you know, as, as long as we'd, we'd uh, talked, as many times as we talked, I still learned more because he brought in Guy Benjamin, who was also a friend of mine and former quarterback of his, both Stanford and the Flaminers. And, you know, they would talk about things that happened in, in the dressing room at halftime, where, of course, I had never been allowed. So, so and, But they would talk about, you know, how they could set up formations to dictate uh, what a defense could do and it was just amazing the the way uh, you know Walsh could lay it out that way. Absolutely, and he was uh, I guess he's the gold standard. And in the same respect, building a champion is probably the gold standard for for football books out there. I, I don't think I've read anything that's come close to that book. The the detail in it and uh, the way it carries from beginning to end is just uh, it's unparalleled for sure. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a little story about that. that <laughs> we we had uh, we were working on this book, and uh, Bill is so pains was so painstaking, and you know I would type 
in the computer, and he'd look over my shoulder, and he'd be going through it word by word, literally, and say, well, I think we could use this word here, <laughs> you know, that type of, type of thing. And meanwhile, my family and I had uh, prepaid tickets to go to France, to go to Paris, and I'm really looking at the, the deadline for the book and for the, you know, I couldn't, we couldn't get a refund on the, the tickets if we didn't make it, you know, so I was really sweating it for a while, and we really went down to the wire on it, and literally, uh, I finished it the day before we took off for France. Guy had to take the, the manuscript to the printer, so it was that close, you know, <laughs> but it was quite an experience. I'm sure it was. Uh, I, I guess one of the one of the nice things about spending that much time with him is he didn't need an editor. I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had uh, you know I was talking to the editor at St. Martin's and and I said you know Bill is going to be going into bookstores and taking out a book and and making edits as he goes along reading it. <laughs> he pretty much did, but. Probably yeah. scribbling in little plays in the back of the yeah, pages. Right, too. Yeah, right. No, he was he was amazing because he just, you know, he was notorious for, for being in, in at parties or whatever and and thinking of a play and his wife, uh, you know, she, he would sometimes scribble off the play on her the sleeve of her dress, the blouse, and at one time she said, "Well, well, I hope that's a good one." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So, so the NFL is releasing the schedule tonight, and I, I guess I just had a, a question about the way they're handling the media of it. It's a, a little bit unorthodox, and they've sort of blacked everything out except for their network and their TV men and, and the whole bit. So I, I don't think anybody else is really privileged to that. How, how as, as a media member, do you feel about that process? Well, it bothers me. I think, uh, you know, they've gone overboard with this NFL network nonsense, and, uh, you know, they don't need, they're making plenty of money. You know, I mean, the, the NFL and the teams in the NFL are doing better than anybody. Uh, so they don't need this extra money, and I think they're, they're not, not only blocking out the media, at times, you know, they're fans that can't get, can't see the games. And, uh, because they're on the NFL network, and they don't have the NFL network, they can't, can't get these games. And I think that is a serious mistake because, just as I think it's a serious mistake to black out any games. You know, they've, they've been blacking out home games if they're not sold out, and I think that's that's a real mistake because TV is such a great selling tool, and it's really one of the very major reasons why the NFL has risen in popularity, and I just don't, they're shooting themselves in the foot with that, I think. Uh, I tend to agree on the blackouts for sure, and, and about the the spectacle that we're going to have probably later on this evening. Um, releasing the schedule, like, I guess, is somewhat exciting, but it, it's nothing like uh, the draft or a Super Bowl that you can blow yeah. it up into that type of uh, analysis and, and enjoyment. It's we, we know who the opponents are already. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, it's just, uh, the draft has just become incredible. Uh, you know, when I started, that was actually my first experience in of covering games on a regular basis was covering the Oakland Raiders, 1967 to through 71. And uh, at that time, uh, the draft was not a big thing at all. In fact, they held in February. 
uh, and uh, you know they moved it back ostensibly to give teams more of a chance to to scout players and stuff. But I think the major reason was that they just they knew they could build it up in importance. And uh, you know when it was in February, there were a few stories before, but but nobody got too excited about it until it actually happened. But you know it's like now. You know I get questions in in September about people ask me, well, who do you think the Niners are going to draft next year? Oh, I know. I think we already have a, a 2010 draft thread going on our forum at uh, 49ers Paradise, actually. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised, yes. So I, the people that, that covered in that detail are pretty amazing because it's, uh, I mean, it is a lot of players that you have to get to know and a, a lot of a oh, yeah. lot of analysis. Yeah. Well, I find it interesting, and I try to read as much of the stuff as I can because there's no way I can see all these players, you know, myself. And so it gives me some background. But, but you know, the the mock drafts are always they're always fun, but they usually fall apart with about the fourth pick, <laughs> you know, because there's always there's always a big surprise early that nobody saw, and. Uh, once you do that, then everybody else is scrambling, you know. And so, you know, you maybe you were planning to pick this quarterback in the in the sixth round, with a sixth pick, but but all of a sudden he's gone. So now you've got to decide, well, who who else are you going to pick? And and the teams themselves are doing that. And of course, they've got all the information there. It's yeah. not like they're going, oh my God, I've got to, what am I going to do now? You know, because they they have it laid out pretty much. Preferential, and they've got it identified by by positions, and and so it's not a, not a thing where they say, well, if I can't get this guy, boy, I don't know who I'm going to get. They, you know, they're going to plan B pretty quickly. Absolutely, I think uh, it's an exciting time, and the analysis is entertaining, and uh, I mean, the the detail is overwhelming, and yeah. I think the the biggest question around. Uh, the 49ers this year is quarterback, no quarterback. I guess usually when you have a, a new head coach come to town, um, especially on a losing team, you get a, a new quarterback. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, just funny because I, years ago, I, I, you know, I did a history on the, the 49ers, uh, their uh, 50 year history that came out in 1995. And I interviewed players from, as many players who, we're still alive, you know, from way back into the 40s. And uh, I was talking to Brody, and I, you know, I knew John pretty well because I covered him when he was playing. And and I said, you know, it's really unusual that that you would stay that long with a team when there wasn't that much success. You know, there was. He had at the end of his career, they won. You know, they got in the playoffs three years in a row, got to the championship game, not quite to, to the ultimate, but they. They were successful at that point, but before that, they hadn't been close to the playoffs. He, he said, well, what usually happens is that when the team is going bad, it's the quarterback or the coach that gets blamed. He says, but the 49ers kept firing their coach, so he stayed. <laughs> it's true, they had quite a turnover with coaches in that time, but, but John, uh, John played his whole career with the 49ers. Yeah, it's, it's very true, and uh, that might bode well for an Alex Smith or a Sean Hill giving one, getting one more crack at it. Um, yeah. Be, I think it would be hard to pass through this draft without 
looking at a quarterback, even in the mid to lower end of the draft? Well, my favorite about quarterbacks is, number one, you should take a quarterback in every draft. I don't mean the first round necessarily, but I think that you can never have have too many choices at quarterback because there are too many times that we've seen even recently where quarterback, well, like Tom Brady, what was he, six-round pick? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you get guys in the lower rounds that turn out to be better than the guys in the in the first round. So, uh, you know, you can't uh, you can't overlook that. So you should always always take a quarterback. There are a lot of a lot of pro football people agree with me on that. Uh, now, as far as taking one in the first round, that's always a gamble. It's much harder to judge quarterbacks than other positions for a lot of reasons. Uh, and you know there, there are probably more mistakes made on on quarterbacks, you know. And I mean, like everybody seems to think that Matthew Stafford is a great prospect, and probably the Lions will grab him off early. Uh, but uh, that's no guarantee that he's going to make it, you know. So, so who knows? Definitely, there's huge risk at the quarterback, and I've always said myself also, draft one every year, you can't go wrong, but I think the NFL has to change their rule on the number of quarterbacks you can carry on a roster, and I think there should be uh, some sort of roster exemption so that you could keep these guys around long enough to groom them. Yeah, that's uh, that's always a problem, because if you you know, it's really hard for a guy to come in from college and just take over as a starting quarterback, and... uh, (laughs) You can ask Alex Smith about that one. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it just, unless a guy has played, well, even a guy like, like Leonard, I thought he'd, he'd be able to step in because he was, he was playing in, in the great system of USC and, and, uh, he, you know, so a pro, pro type system. So he had as good a background as you could possibly have for a college quarterback. But uh, you know he's played some, but he's you know then he got sidetracked again down Arizona. So I don't know what's going to happen to him the rest of his career. I I suspect he'll probably wind up starting again. Excuse me, starting again. But it doesn't look like he's going to be a big star. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he came into a situation where throwing the ball. I mean, pick your receiver, right? And uh, you know. Yeah, right. So that that was the other thing. Yeah. He, he's, he had a lot of talent around him at, at SC. I mean, they, they had terrific offensive players when he was there. Uh, but uh, as you say, you know, when he came to the Cardinals, those receivers that they have would use. You know, that uh, you would think think it would be almost a seamless transition, but but it wasn't for whatever reason. So, so what do you think the biggest area of need is for the team? Where where would you go if with your first pick? Well, I have said that, you know, if they could pick pick up one of the top two quarterbacks, I still would go that way. Uh, and uh, it doesn't seem like Staff, Stafford will be available, but Sanchez might be. Um, I'm not sure Sanchez is ready to play. You know, he hasn't had that much experience in college, and he might take a little longer, but if they brought him in, they could drill him a little bit. But you've got to have a quarterback. And I'm not convinced about either of the 49ers quarterbacks. Uh, I think Alex Smith has the ability, but he has been through so much psychologically, you know, you just wonder if he can, can recover from all that. He's just been beat down. So 
and physically too. You know, he he had those shoulder operations, so so he's not, uh, you know, mentally and physically, he's he's a question mark. But he has the ability to be a, a top-notch quarterback. I think um, Sean Hill is a guy that should be the backup. Uh, he doesn't have a strong arm. He you know, he's kind of been under the radar when he's come in and played. Uh, other teams haven't known much about him, so the defenses haven't been set up specifically to stop him. But I think they will be this year if if he's a starter. And I don't think he'd be very effective as a starter. So that's why I think, you know, the, if the 49ers, <laughs> I've advocated a lot of things. I thought they should go after Matt Castle, uh, for instance, and I don't think they even made, made an attempt. And uh, they didn't make an attempt for Cutler either. And, of course, I don't think they, they would have given up what the Bears gave up, and I don't think they should have. But, but uh, you know, either one of those guys would have been good. Yeah, and, and you know, Cutler would have been an interesting uh, option in the offseason also. So uh, kind of surprising, in my opinion, that the team didn't go in the direction of bringing in one one of those guys. Yeah, I... I uh, I think they just, you know, Scott McLuhan really wants to build the team through the draft. And I I believe that's the way to go, too. Uh, but, you know, you always have this schism between the coach, or often have it, coach and the, the GM, because the, the coach wants the team to, to win right now. You know, the GM is thinking in terms of building, and if we can win right now, great. But if we can't, if we can build a team that will be winning for years down the road, that's the way to go. So, um, and when Nolan was here, he had the top hand. He was the one who who made the decisions, and they, they weren't very often good ones. Uh, but uh, McClellan is definitely in charge in the personnel realm right now. So, I mean, Singletary is a very strong person, a very strong voice, but he just doesn't have the experience in evaluating talent. And so, you know, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I think that's he's going to bring a bruising running back to the mix one way or another. Well, he wants to. Of course, Frank Gore can do it, but he can't do it every down. You know, I mean, they, they need to get in somebody to not necessarily compliment Gore so much as supplement him, you know, to, to, so they could rotate him a little bit because – the Singletary obviously wants to, to run the ball more. Um, I don't think that's necessarily wise uh, because I, I I think it's a passing game that generally wins in the NFL, not the running game. But uh, we shall see what happens. But that's, that's his wish. But I don't know that there's any running back in the draft that would be worth the point arrows going number one for. I, de- I definitely wouldn't think they'd go their number one. They're not with Gore on the roster, certainly. So they need, uh, you know, they needed an outside pass rusher for years, you know, and they thought Manny Lawson would be that, and he's he's been injured a lot, and he hasn't played with any real consistency either. And they brought in uh, uh, the guy from the Patriots, can't even think of his name now, and they released him. He, had, he didn't pan out for him. So uh, <coughs> they need they need a pass rusher from the edge. Of course, they're, they're playing the three four, so that means a linebacker. 
Yeah, it, it would have been nice to keep Julian Peterson around. Certainly, he was. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, uh, he would be a big help, and that was a contract thing, and you know they just uh, they haven't made a lot of good decisions recently. No, they uh, haven't. I, I think part yeah. of it is they've been so focused on um, game managers and players who won't make mistakes that they're they're also yeah, giving right. up the reward. Yeah, they. I think, uh, well, of course, there's been a lot of turnover in coaches and GMs, and, and uh, you know, when you have that kind of turnover, you don't get the consistency, the stability you need. What you need is a situation that New England has had uh, for the last few years where they've had the coach in place and then they've had the personnel guy who's gone now. Of course, he's going to Kansas City. Uh, but... Uh, uh, yeah, you know, so you, the decisions are the same year after year. They're looking for one type of player, one type of team, and all this. And the 49ers haven't had that uh, for a long time, really, since since their glory years. You know, when they uh, when Walsh, of course, they had it, and Seifert had carried over with Seifert because he had been an assistant for Walsh all those years, and so the plan. There's a different guy in charge, but the plan remained pretty much constant. But then since then, it's been up and down, and you know, uh, they've had coaches coming in on a regular basis, and they really haven't uh, sat down and said, okay, this is what we want to do, um, and we'll see. I yeah, don't know, I mean, you know, I, I like I like what Singletary did at the end last year. I thought he he got the team. Revitalized and brought out the best in them. Uh, whether he's a long-range guy, I don't. I don't know yet. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, I, I have no question about his leadership or his ability to bring the players together. And I just hope right. he connects and O's against some of the game's top top minds. Yeah, well, that's the question about Mike. Always was uh, his knowledge of the X's and O's, and, and uh, that didn't bother me so much because. You know, you can bring in guys who really... There are a lot of guys in football, coaches, who really know the X's and O's, but they can't lead the team, you know, so you can bring in guys like that, but but uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. Definitely. Now, what about uh, going on the offensive line? Do you think uh, the team's going to be looking there? I, I personally don't think you can get enough offensive linemen, enough big bodies in front of your quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you really need to keep refurbishing the offensive line. I don't think, uh, you know, I've read a lot that said, oh, they just have a terrible line, and I know a lot of fans here think so. I don't believe that's true. They did uh, a couple of, well, in 2006, you know, they really, when Alex Smith came in, he was a terrible line. But uh, they've got, they've brought in some young studs, uh, who who are pretty good, you know, and, and if they just get a little time to play together. Now, they, they've had a weakness of right tackle. Uh, it was really weak when Quentin Harris was there because he was just swinging the door there. But uh, Adam Snyder is not bad when he's played, but he, it's better if you have Snyder backing up a tackle and guard, and then you've got, you know, just, you've got some depth there. And they brought in a free agent uh, offensive lineman in the, the off season, but they could definitely still use another 
offensive linemen. So we'll see what they what they do there. But that's yeah, always an area where you have to have to be looking. Like quarterback, you you just keep reinvesting in in that area, and you know a few yeah. guys will will come through for you. It's uh, well, and, and I think uh, more and more people are are understanding that that you really they it doesn't make any difference who you got throwing the ball or or running with it if you don't have a good line in front of them, they're not going to be able to do much. So you know you've got to have that. I keep having flashbacks to the Saints game last year where, you know, when Deuce McAllister was in the game, they they were just pushing us so far back on the line, and then he was carrying three guys on on him as, as well. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, that uh, if we're going to be a running team, that that's the type of power we need to, to complement Gore because he can do it, but he can't, he can't carry three guys on him for an entire season. Well, he can't do it every down, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing that he would break down because he's not not that big, you know. He's not a a real power guy, and he did have a knee he had knee surgery in, in college. You know, I, I really questioned when he was drafted whether you know he'd be able to do it, but obviously he has. I guess, I guess before we uh, we wrap it up, I'm just wondering. There's been uh, a lot of hinting by by Singletary in particular about Jimmy Williams in the defensive backfield, a free agent acquisition. Have, have you had a chance to see him out at, at minicamp or anything like that? No, I haven't. Uh, I, they've only had one uh, uh, workout. I, I, I mean, one week where a weekend where they were working out and I, I haven't been on at all yet. So so I don't, I don't know how that's going to work, but I will be down later after the draft. I'll certainly we'll get down there and see what they're doing. But anyway, yeah, I hear you'll have a good vantage point from their new hill. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know if I can get up it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, that, the old one was a, a challenge for me, but uh, well, yeah. Uh, I, and that'll be something to see. But uh, that's all uh, part of the workout for the players. They have to piggyback you up to the top of the hill. Yeah, right. Maybe that'll I'll, I'll get one of them to to take care of me on that. But uh, yeah, that that's that's going to be interesting. I haven't seen that yet, obviously. So so I just read about it. But but that was an interesting thing. Well, you know, uh, when the foreigners were good. They had guys who did this type of thing on their own, like Jerry Rice and Roger Craig and you know and Ronnie Lott. They really were workout fiends. Of course. And they, uh, uh, Craig, Craig was actually the first. He developed uh, the workout, and then uh, Jerry picked up on it. And some of the others tried it, you know, but it was so exhausting that that uh, they couldn't uh, couldn't continue with it. But Roger is amazing. Yeah, he's still running marathons, for God's sake. Yeah, he so, he's an unbelievable. I mean, so is Jerry, yeah. an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, but they were, but they did that on their own, and it's it's best, of course, if you can get athletes to to do it on their own. But, but sometimes you have to give them a little prodding, and, and <laughs> certainly, you know, conditioning is is extremely important. So. Absolutely. Glenn, I really want to thank you for being with us today, and I want to encourage all of our listeners to check out your website, glendickey.com, and your regular column in the Examiner as well. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're a little bit under the weather, so I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I, got, I picked up a cold. My wife, wife had surgery last week, and 
I was hanging around the emergency room, and that that's an incubator for cold germs. But anyway, but I'll I'll recover, and she's recovering nicely too. So anyway, I, it was good talking to you, Brian, and, and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Glenn. So there you have it, the Glenn Dickey interview. Uh, it's been great talking with Glenn over the years. He's been a great supporter of 49ers Paradise, and I really appreciate that and encourage all of you to read his latest articles at glendickey.com and in The Examiner. So that's this week's show. If you've got any questions, if you want to participate in a podcast show or you just want to have your take played on the air, be sure to drop me a line at podcast at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. Until next time, take care, have fun. But the days of the 49ers had only just begun.